Hello, and welcome. I'm Nick Roberts. Mike Chrisman is a product manager at Google and previously a CIA intelligence analyst turned Marine AH-1 attack helicopter pilot. With the Marines, he served two tours in Afghanistan, and on his first, he flew regular combat missions against the Taliban in the Helmand Valley. On his next, he became a forward air controller, guiding close air support onto targets while embedded with infantry. He was selected as a 2014 Tillman Military Scholar by the Pat Tillman Foundation, and I'd encourage you to check out some of his articles, which I'm linking here in the show notes. Today, we speak about his nine years with the Marines, engaging in faraway firefights, and then his big transition to business school and ultimately Google. We also discuss product management, which is our mutual career, the finer points of anticipating user and business needs, and how to build great products. I sat down with Mike in his backyard, which is why there's a bit of background noise, but we're jumping into his history right here at the beginning. Enjoy. Yeah, so um, I went to uh, Columbia University undergrad, I like ran track uh, there. Then I went to um, a Virginia Tech for grad school. Mm-hmm. I was an electrical engineer, so it was like undergrad and graduate school. And like, I actually really liked engineering. You know, I was like into it. I was like, oh, maybe I'll be a professor one day. Who knows? Um, and then I think when I went to grad school, I got a little bored. I was like, oh, shit, this is like, I don't know. You're like <laughs> just in a lab all day, like, you know, yeah. coding or stuff. So um, had like a, um, you know, applied to some other jobs. And at that time, it was like, like 9-11 happened uh, when I was in graduate school. So uh, job openings up like at the CIA. And so I worked for the CIA like right after grad school. So it was like my first job out of college was going um, going there. I was like an intelligence analyst. So it wasn't like, I wasn't like, you know, undercover or anything like that. Um, and I, because I was a technical person, had a um, um, background in like, um, you know, I guess you, you do a lot of like the weapons analysis. So like the the CIA is kind of like split up into like, you know, regional teams, or like a non, non-regional person, but just kind of like a technical person. Um, and so, you know, when, you know, obviously when like, you know, they were like, we invaded Iraq, there was no WMD, they're like, where the fuck's the WMD? Go find the WMD or find out what happened. I think by the point I went, like they knew there was no WMD. So I was like, hey, let's do the post-analysis, let's do the post-mortem essentially, like what happened? How did this happen? Like, you know, if there isn't any, if there isn't a WMD program, what was there? What wasn't there? And so it was part of the team that kind of went and did that. And so, um, well, I'm, I'm now I'm curious. Yeah. Like, so what, what, uh, what was the post, the conclusion of the postmortem? Uh, it was all a front. It was all a lie. Um, so like, I think like the idea, and this is an unclassified report. You can go, you can oh, go yeah. read it, um, online. This was a report to Congress essentially, but essentially it was like, I mean, Saddam was kind of like in this weird spot of like he was surrounded by enemies. He had like uprisings. And so he had to kind of project power and he could kind of pretend he had power by like, you know, making people think he had like WMD. Um, Then on the flip side, though, you know, like retroactively, like high something in 2020, if they look back, they're like, hey, there were a lot of points when we were about to like invade. Saddam was like kind of like hinting, hey, I don't really have this stuff. Come look. Right. And come see it. And I think we just like passed that too far. So I just had a friend who was like, yeah, Saddam Hussein tricked us into invading him. So, <laughs> um, 
So yeah, I mean, one of those like quirks of, I mean, history obviously like huge impacts and, and yeah. everything. But yeah, so I, I wouldn't, I don't buy the. There's a lot of like, oh, we lied, and I don't think we lied. I think like like every every country thought it was true. Like it was kind of like, you know, a case study in groupthink, and like you know, how did we get this? And like sometimes like, if you want to believe something, do you kind of put evidence to you know to align to that? So. Um, at least in the intelligence community, that's how there's a lot of like kind of internal like, oh crap, how did we, this is like huge, this is a huge failure. So, um, so that report is kind of part of that. Like, hey, like what, what did happen? What did they have? What didn't they have? So, mm, yeah. Gotcha. I don't remember what your first question oh, was, yeah. but like, yeah. like, like, first it was like, where did I go to school? Yeah, <laughs> was, where, did, where did you go to school? And, and uh, you know, how did you end up uh, making the transition from the CIA to, to the Marines? Uh, yeah, so, I think, like, again, I was like, okay, like, I'm going to sit in a, in a cube. Like, it's like, you know, you're an analyst. Your job isn't to go, like, overseas. And, um, maybe now, having been 2020, being that we had, we've been at war for so long time, there are a lot more opportunities. But traditionally, coming out of the Cold War, analysts sat in Langley. They wrote reports. They read intelligence reports. And things were very divided. And I was like, I just can't sit here and, like, write, you know, reports for the, the president and Congress and stuff all day. Um, and I didn't want to be a case officer. I kind of looked into that, but just, just not, not for me. Um, and so I kind of wanted to join the military for a while. I think going out there, you were obviously working with the military a bunch. Um, like the teams, they're all kind of like these cross-functional teams that include the military. Um, and like, I think I got more, more respect for people who were there. Um, and I, I could just remember like, you know, we were driving through traffic in downtown Baghdad and we had like you know, up armored SUVs. We had like, you know, you know, private security with us, so we could kind of like do what we want—not do what we wanted, but we, we got through traffic, right? Um, but then I just remember seeing like this like convoy, and there's this you know kid on this Humvee in the turret. They're stuck. They're sticking out like a sore thumb. He's clearly very like you know nervous and like agitated. You're like, man, like you could do something to help that kid, um, and like. You know, I'm young, I'm smart, I'm, like, healthy, I'm, like, athletic, I can go do this stuff. And, like, and also I think in D.C. at the time, like, you know, you know, we don't, like, all my friends were obviously right out of college. You know, actually, it was, at that time, I think the world was, like, less bifurcated. So you had people who were on the right and people who were on the left, and the right and left weren't so far apart. You kind of, like, you could have these debates. You had people who were, like, pro, kind of, like, invasion, people who were anti-invasion. Right. On, on both sides. On both sides. Yeah, because I remember Hillary Clinton was, like, a, was like an Iraq... Warhawk. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so it was kind of much more people were more, people. I think the country was just more more centrist. But anyway, like there were a lot of people who were like were like this is stupid. Da da da. Like and like you know this is all fucked up. I'm like well go do something. You know. And so like you can you can choose to sit here and like point fingers or you can go do something. And so I don't know when you're young and stupid, you kind of make those decisions. So yeah. What sort of, uh, like, if you're able to talk about it, um, what sort of operations were you involved with in Afghanistan? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I could talk about it. So I did two tours in Afghanistan. One was, like, a flying tour. It was a ground tour. So the flying tour, you know, we were essentially close air support for, um, you know, the Marine Corps there. So the Marines owned, they kind of quote, owned um, uh, RC Southwest, which is, like, Helmand province, which is, like, um, 
I don't know, I guess <laughs> derogatory, but like the West Virginia of like Afghanistan, <laughs> like, I guess. I mean, I don't know if it's derogatory to West Virginia. I know a lot of friends from West Virginia, like it's like, yeah. but you know, it's like a little very backwater, real backwater yeah. like the heartland of the Taliban. Um, it's like, I think it's actually one of the least populated places, but it's like 90% of like the opium in the world comes from Afghanistan and 90% of like Afghanistan's opium comes from this river valley. So it's like the kind of like where all the money comes from. So like they basically, what happens is like they grow poppy, they harvest the opium and then they ship it out, they sell it and then they bring guns and, 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 and munitions back in. So essentially like there's a lot of fighting over basically the um for control of the opium mm. right because uh, that's like what's powering uh, everything so um there's kind of like a long history of like us and the brits being there i went there like in 2011 to fly which is kind of right after this the surge like the obama surge um so there was a big huge marine course like in british um uh kind of like presence there and yeah you hooked and jabbed with the taliban all day so yeah. yeah well and i and i wanted to talk a little bit about that so you know you in your article were referencing so on your first tour i think you know you were, you were telling me on your first tour you were you were flying and then on your second tour you know you were a forward air controller mm -hmm. and I'll, we'll get into that maybe in a second yeah. but when you were um in the helicopter uh what was what was that like and if, if you could recount one of your tales like uh similar you know, maybe the one that you were talking about in, in your article yeah yeah i mean like um so you basically do um uh, what's called close air support so a lot of you're like generally oftentimes like commonly what happens is like you know marines or whoever's out on patrol they get into like a firefight mm -hmm. and then they bring in like close air support to kind of like you know help them out for whatever, for whatever reason um and so you also did like a lot of medevac escort so i guess like you know the the situation you're referring to, um, actually the first time I ever shot like live rounds, um, or I guess live rounds at, at other humans, um, was basically a medevac like uh, support for Marines in, um, in Hellman. So yeah, we like, you know, you get basically like, you're like on strip alert. And so you'll get like a, like a call, like, hey, you'll go, there's actually a horn, you'll run to the aircraft, you'll like go out, they'll give you like, you know, coordinates of where to go, frequencies. So you're just like hauling ass to get to where you need to go. You check in with like the, the controller and they kind of tell you, hey, here's what's going on. Here, they're building like your essay, your situational awareness. And so like, you know, hey, you know, good guys are at this, this coordinate, bad guys are at this coordinate, like, you know, here's where you are. Um, there's a there's a you know injury. There's a medevac helicopter like coming in. So your job at that point is to like secure the zone. So like you show up first. You quote unquote what they call like winter the zone. So make sure that there's no fighting in the, the helicopter. The medevac helicopter can land. Um, in this particular situation, it was like a, a like a more um, contentious zone. So there was a specialized like a special operations medevac helicopter. Like they'll fight their way in, they'll fight their way out. Um, so yeah, so we basically got there first. Um, they wanted us to put like suppressive fire, like um, on the basic in the zone to basically just get get like the Taliban to stop shooting. And so um, yeah, I mean like I was two, like dash two. Like my XO was an awesome, still awesome human being. It was it was lead? He's like cool as a cat. He's just like yeah, man. Like this is what we're gonna do. I was like, oh shit, like <laughs> this is like really happening. Um, and so, 
Yeah, I mean, the guy, the controller is like, hey, like, here's a f here's the field where I want you to hit, like, gun only. Because, like, gun is, like, more accurate. It's a lower yield weapon. You're shooting really close to, like, friendlies. So you don't want to, like, accidentally shoot them. So, like, go with gun. So he went in first. He, you know, he tips in first. And, like, as two, you're kind of, like, behind. So he tips in first. He, sh you know, he, he shoots. And then I, I come in second. And um, my, my co-pilot at that point is in the front. He's kind of controlling the gun and like the gun he's like hey the gun's not firing oh, so it's like oh shit so we kind of tip in and you're in you know in the dives like hey i'll go okay, give me the gun i'll go fix gun so sometimes like if you're in the front the gun slews and you can it's kind of like on a turret if i put it straight off the nose maybe that's gonna fix it it doesn't it doesn't fire so the gun is basically jammed at that point and, and sorry just uh just for maybe yeah. a tiny bit of context so this is the uh one AH one, AH one, yeah, 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 okay. yeah. So super, super Cobra, AH one right. whiskey. A yeah. yeah, sorry, I had that. Yeah, uh, no worries. We fly with UH ones also. They're also right. in the squadron. So yeah, so two, two Cobras. So so attack helicopters. Like that's you know two pilots in each aircraft. Um, so we're in the dive and like I was like okay, well like the gun's not firing. Like the controller said you know gun only, and so we're not gonna. You, it, it's a big like trust like, hey there he gave you specific instructions don't like shoot anything else like okay fine and then as we're in the dive lead is pulling off and like the controller comes over the guy on the ground is like hey you're taking fire you're taking fire and so at that point it's like like fuck it you know like <laughs> he's taking fire obviously like their heads aren't down so like you know shot off a couple of rockets like into the into the field essentially um and could you see individual humans no you can't see you couldn't see people because they're in tree line so the whole all like a lot of afghanistan is like um uh it's like that that area is a lot of irrigation ditches and so mm. there's these trees that just basically grow in the irrigation because like there's like water so like they're essentially fighting and hiding in that because like obviously there's like it's hard to see um I was like, rarely did you ever see like anyone um, from the aircraft, like a couple times maybe. And so you would be completely reliant on, on a guy on the ground giving you directions? Yeah, so there's like what's called a talk on. Right. So like it's this whole like coordination, like it's, it's kind of like the art of like close air support. So they're, they're talking you on to like, you know, a building or like an intersection of a road or intersection of like a irrigation disc or like this like you know field at this point at this point i think they had like you know good guys were in this ditch on this side bad guys were on the ditch on the other side like hey put fire in this like area in between you also couldn't like you know there's a lot of rules around like shooting near buildings you don't want to hit civilians either so like i think the controller was trying to just get us to like get fire down um so they would stop shooting to bring so they could bring the medevac helicopter um but yeah, so like, I mean, to go back to like the situation, like, I mean, after the flight, the co-pilot, co-pilot of like the instructor was like, he's like, yeah, he could see as they were pulling off, he could see like tracer rounds from bad guys going up. And then he could see me like rockets, like of me going down. And he was like, he's like, thank you. So he's like, I was pissing my pants. I mean, not literally, but like, he's like, I was pissing my pants. And like the instructor or the, the, the lead came back with a bullet hole in the rotor so a bullet had gone through the rotor and the rotor is like I think 58 feet wide so like a, a round had come basically within 58 feet of their cockpit and wow. gone yeah so wow yeah so they were accurate fire and do, after things like this is there some kind of after action report that you get where you know someone 
confirms that you actually got a hit or, uh, you know, like, yeah, killed people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't think we killed anyone in that one. But yeah, yeah. they like, I mean, they'll be like, Intel will do like this report and they'll do all this stuff. I don't think anything happened. There. I think like basically the helicopter came in, got the Marine and they left and then they disengaged at that point. Um, but yeah, and that one also they weren't. I don't think they weren't trying to to kill anyone at that point. It was just kind of like suppress them, suppress them, yeah. give them time to like they get their heads down, get the helicopter, the medevac helicopter in, and then they and then they leave. So was that the only time that you were called out, or? Oh no, you get called out like all the time, all the time. I mean, you know, six months. I probably shot like I don't know, like. 10, 15 times. So it's not like every day. Um, but if you, you know, think about it, you're there for you know, half a year, 26, you know, probably like, you know, a little less than once a week, you're like getting into a, into a firefight. Right. So. It seems like the Marines see a lot more action or at least, you know, this in this particular theater, you know, then I, I guess it, it, contrasts really strongly from what I've heard other pilots describe to me about being on alert where yeah. you know it's basically you go on alert you sit in a shack you do nothing you never get called out and then you get off alert and that's that I mean there were a <laughs> lot of days like that I mean like there were a ton of days where you did nothing um yeah. there are a ton of days when you got called out and you didn't do anything um um I think this time was like, it was also the time of year. Like there's a season, there's a fighting season mm. um, because of like the opium. Like they're basically fight. Like um, we were, I think the, it's also like, you know, the Marines are going out on a lot of patrols. So they're like kicking up, kicking the hornet's nest. So they're out there. Um, I think that, that part of like Afghanistan is like, like I said, it's like the heartland of the, of the Taliban. So they're pretty aggressive. Um, not afraid of us so um yeah i mean it's also and there's a lot of marines and not a lot of us so it's just like a lot of like a lot of like shooting and and i think also the the helicopter it's like a quote-unquote lower yield weapon so like also at that time it's still and rightfully so like you couldn't just drop bombs willy-nilly because like you don't want to like i mean the worst thing to do is like accidentally kill someone that you don't want to kill because that causes more problems so there's all this like calculation of like you know what type of weapon do I use? And um, because like we had a gun that like helps out a lot. And also like sometimes the rotors just get people to stop shooting because you're loud. Mm. People know you're there and it's like, oh crap. Okay. Helicopters are here. We're, we're getting out of here. Right. So you have yeah. a, lot of, a lot of opportunity. Cause you, you bring the pain. <laughs> you bring the pain. <laughs> you bring the pain. Yeah. Um, no, that's awesome. So uh, one question that I, I was going to ask you um, uh, that we, we kind of touched on earlier is what does a forward air controller do? Yeah, so a forward air controller in the Marine Corps is, or a JTAC, a joint terminal air controller and other services is uh, in the Marine Corps, essentially they do, they take pilots and they put them in ground units and infantry units. And so they're the person that like coordinates with the aircraft. So like you're like the aviation expert. A lot of it is like, also just making sure like, you know, supplies come in and like, you know, like all that kind of stuff. You're running like the schedules and like the landing zones and things like that. But like your kind of your most important job is like to do that talk on. So then you're the guy on the ground, like, hey, here, good guys are here, bad guys are there, do this. Um, ultimately, they kind of control, the FAC controls the, the battle, the, battle uh, the objective area. And so 
they're the one that gives like, you know, there's this whole sequence, call it a nine line of, you know, the controller will give, give like instructions and then basically give the ultimate final clearance to like, to fire. So like, you know, you got a clearance, you get a clearance to land, you get a clearance to like, you know, clear it hot and the clearance to drop the, drop the weapon. So, um, and I think that the, the Air Force, I mean, your dad probably dealt with a lot of like JTACs. Um, they're, they're kind of like culturally very, very different. Like in like the, I've gone and trained as a fact with Air Force pilots and they are, like in the Air Force, the, the pilots own the they'll own the objective. They'll take they'll take control. They'll try to take control because uh, obviously sometimes it's like junior enlisted and like in the Air, in the Marine Corps though it's like I was a captain or you're like you know so you're kind of the same rank as like the person in the air. You're a pilot too, so you kind of know what's going on. So um, I think it's I appreciate the kind of Marine Corps kind of way because you're, you've done that, you've done all that all that stuff, and so you have like a better I think rapport with like the with the guy in the air because sure. you often go back then to like the squadrons and then like or like you know have that experience to take back with them so, right yeah you know and this makes me think of another uh question i had which is just that uh and pardon me if this is like completely naive but you know like we have an army for land stuff we have a navy for water stuff we have an air force for air stuff and i guess what what i was wondering um you know was what what sort of niche is the marine are the Marines filling? Yeah, I mean, the Marine Corps does it all, right? So it's like, we are all those services together. And so, like, we're much smaller. Um, they like to say, like, you know, we, our budgets are smaller. We do more with less. We have, we have hand-me-down, air, you know, equipment. All equipment is, like, hand-me-down. It's, like, old, rusted aircraft, old, rusted, like, trucks. Like, our bases, if you go to, you know, um, you know Afghanistan, they're much more austere, right? Like, like we're, like, you know, sh- I, I shit in a bag, you know, for six months, you piss in a piss, you know, like, and so you're much more expeditionary. And so, and if you have all those pieces and you own all those pieces, then I think together, like if you own the aircraft and you own the, the troops, they culturally work together a lot more better because you train together. And then also like the commanders own all that, that all those assets together, they, they can do with them as, as they want. So that's the idea. Um, Pure doesn't work in practice all the time. Uh, I think I think it actually does work pretty well together because um, it's much easier for like even like when I was a fac, like pilots come over, bring like the junior the junior pilots, like hey, this is this is how this works. You're working for this guy, and then vice versa. Right? You take like um, junior like Marines over to like you know, squadrons, and like hey, this is their point of view. Like you know, you know, like hey, when they're up in the air, things are really small. And like you know, your world and perspective is different, and you know they like, oh, okay, they kind of they kind of get it. So, yeah. um, so I think it works out yeah. works out pretty well. And so you were in the and so you were in the Marines for nine years, you mm-hmm. said, and then you made that transition back to um, civilian life. Yeah. Uh, and and so what what drove that? What what uh, was the thing that set that in motion? Yeah, I think it was just it's just kind of done, you know. I mean, I I, I joined late in life. I kind of had like something I wanted to do. I kind of did all the cool shit that I wanted to do. Um, I like yeah, like I want. I knew I wanted to be a fac. Actually, the first the first person, the first CIA officer killed in Afghanistan was a guy um, who came from who was a Marine Angoco, uh, which is like the the unit I went to was Angoco, which like the, the facts. Um, you know, they worked with like foreign militaries and things like that. So 
I wanted to fly. I wanted to do that. I did like my, I did three tours in, in the Marine Corps. Like they're all very different. And so it's like, you know, what's kind of like left for me, unless you want to, unless you want to be a squadron commander or like, you know, go do a career. I just don't think that was for me. And like, I don't know if I also like, you know, like fit into that, you know, at some point, like you're like, you got to like buy into the culture and like, you know, the machine. I don't know. I like quite ever bought into that. So, yeah. and a lot of people, it's a lot, it's like a lot of people do Like they like, Hey, I kind of got this. I kind of want to go do something else. It's right. kind of time to move on. So you made the transition to, to being a, a PM at Google or a product manager at Google that is. And um, I was wondering how you did that basically. <laughs> like how did you, go, how did you know what, to do what steps to take to kind of get to get to that position um i didn't <laughs> um <laughs> yeah so i mean i went to so let me back up i don't know if we talked we didn't talk about this before but like uh, you actually mentioned the ipad so when i was in the marine corps um you know ipads had just come out right and there was no what is this like four four flight or whatever that was oh yeah four, four flight is the app i use to uh to to navigate and and do things like that while i'm flying so yeah so such a we built our own, right? Oh, so, wow. so like um, when I talked, like you know, I talked about like the the talk on the way that we did that in Afghanistan was like basically a bunch of maps. So it was called GRGs, or the gridded reference gra graphical reference grid or gridded reference graphic. But essentially, they um, it was actually like brilliant. But they have this map where they like number every single building in the entire like area, right? So like you can imagine these are like like what is this? This is probably like a one to like two hundred fifty. Like they're like one to like five thousand um, uh, maps. So like you can see the build. They're basically satellite images. They will number each building. And they'll have like a kind of like a square, right? Like like a circle. Like this is zone two alpha Bravo, right? Um, and then what the guy on the ground will say is, hey, I'm I'm in building five. Bad guys are in building ten. Shoot wow. building ten. Don't shoot building five. So, so you just have so much fidelity. And then you can zero right in on your right yeah. exactly, and so and it quick it it, it 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 speeds things up because they're like oh okay I can see that building and it makes you know rather than them being like oh it's like ten meters off like the road running north to south blah blah, blah. the problem is like they were, we had physical maps mm -hmm. for long so like people like you had literally had like three or four like big bags that you took out to the aircraft and then in like you know a firefight you'd have to be there, like oh go find map twenty four and you'd be like okay where's map 24 da, 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 da. okay then you had to find it you had to pull it out you go ifr in the cockpit because you, like, you have this big old map out and you're trying to look for it um so like at that point like that was like 2011 the ipads had just kind of come out it's like hey we can do better there's oh there's a gps in this thing you can have a moving map and so we basically took all those maps digitized them cr created our own like system where we added metadata we you know all this information added to it. and so you know, and then created this like on our own, right? Um, built the program from scratch. This is all like run by pilots. So, which is like very, very rare in the military. Oh, like I've never heard of this happening again. So kind of go back to your to your question. It was like, how do I get a PM? Like that was like kind of being like a PM, right? It's like, here's this product. Here's like, here's, here's the vision of this product. Here's how we can do better, you know? And then also like, there's like the, there's like the vision, like the idea, there's like the technical, like somebody's got to like, I mean, I was technical enough that you could kind of figure out how to do it. You're essentially adding metadata and like zipping file, you know, adding, you know, connecting files together. 
But then a lot of it was like the program is like convincing people to like buy. I mean, iPads are expensive, right? They're they say they're a thousand bucks a pop. You need 50 of them. So you need 50 grand from like the school, you know, so you gotta go sell that to somebody, you know, um, I mean, in Afghanistan, we had to like download stuff and oh, by the way, like they locked the internet. So there's one line, there's one for this base of like 10,000 people, one called white line that's unlimited internet that you had to convince someone to let you go at midnight plug into so you could like update these things. So all of those things had to happen, which I think was like very similar kind of like being a PM. Um, maybe I didn't know it at the time, but like I was, you know, that was kind of like, this is what I want to do. Um, and then I, so I went to like business school after the Marine Corps. Um, and then, um, yeah. And so then realized, oh yeah, this is what, this is what these guys do or the, and women. Um, and then like, you know, was able to kind of like connect those dots and, um, at least like tell, tell that story. And then I think like, you know, business schools are like machines for like getting hired for hiring. And so it's like, you go through, you go through, like, you go through, like, the machine, and you kind of, like, get spit out the end, and, like, someone picks you up, and I got picked up by Google, so. Right, <laughs> right. And, and you, uh, you interned uh, in the middle there at Apple, mm -hmm. and then you, you were, were you also doing kind of product manager work there? Yeah, well? they, they do it a little differently. They call, I think, with their, their PMs or more, P, or, or PMMs, like, it's kind of like the role, um, but yeah, I was, like, an intern, like, on the iPhone, uh, iPhone team there. Nice. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And uh, so now you're you landed at Google in this cushy uh, <laughs> yes. environment yeah. and uh, and with free food all the time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, gain twenty pounds. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and and so what aspect? Which product are you are you focused on? Yeah, so I work on the Google Store, which is um, sells like all the hardware and services um, that uh, Google sells. So like Nest devices, phones, all of that, all that jazz. Right. Yeah. So, um, and then you're like, you, you oversee um, like a particular kind of aspect of the product. And like, I, I guess what I'm curious about is, uh, you know, is the team structure at Google such that, you know, you, you sort of take G Store and you split that between like a bunch of different PMs and they all kind of have their focuses. If that's yeah. the case, you know, what, what's kind of your main yeah. thing? Yes, yes, exactly. So like if you think about like the flow, the user flows, like you come into the site and then you kind of go, you make a purchase, kind of get into that, that funnel all the way up to like logistics and returns and things like that. I've kind of like, I've been there for a while. It's like almost, I guess, four years now, kind of like everything up to, I probably touched at some point everything up to um, checkout. So basically getting people to add things to the cart. Um, so I've done things like how do we, you know, you know, I redesigned the configurator, which is someone, you know, someone goes and chooses like what color phone they want and, you know, redesign that piece. Uh, the thing I'm working on now is like our content management system, which is so kind of a little bit behind the scenes, but how do we basically manage content in our product catalog and our like uh, discounts and promotions on the site in like a very scalable way. Um, so like, like everything everywhere, like just like Google's like, well, one, you build everything in house. You don't, you don't buy it. Um, and then two, like, it starts out scrappy that lasts for about four or five years. And then you're like, you, you quickly outgrow that. So we've outgrown that. So we've spent like two years, like rebuilding, um, this like core infrastructure that'll hopefully last us another five, six, seven years. And someone will, re someone will rebuild it again like, <laughs> down the road and curse my, like, you know, like who, who was the idiot that like designed it this way? Like, you know, yeah. you know, in, back in like 2020. So it's just the way of things. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so, you know, how, what's your method or, you know, kind of generally speaking of, 
of how to figure out, you know, because I, I guess, you know, the job of a product manager, like in loose terms, is to figure out some kind of business need and then work in this interdisciplinary fashion with engineers and designers and so forth mm -hmm. to get something shipped. So how do you kind of figure out the thing to point everybody at? Or, you know, what's, what's your method for kind of eliciting the, you know, the next thing to focus on or feature build? Um, are you like talking about like what, like trying to find the next thing or like how do I, once you figure that next thing out? Or like, yeah, I mean like how did you like lock on to GCMS or sorry, oh, yeah. which is, you know, the yeah, thing yeah, you're yeah. working on, you know, how, how did that be kind of become like a focus and, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, th I mean, part of, I mean, part of it is lucky. Like you get kind of told, I mean, you get like, I think it's lucky and like, you know, there is always like, here's your piece of the pie. Here's what you own. But I think it's also like, you know, what are like the pain, like what are people struggling with and what are our limitations? And so like, I think I was lucky enough that I quote unquote own GCMS for, or, or the, the existing, the existing system now um, to see just like, man, you know, this is why we're having leaks. This is why like, you know, things don't get on the site fast. This is why, uh, you know, I, you know, I see like, you know, the, the, op the operations people trying to like, you know, put this thing together with duct tape and stuff. And like, you're like, hey, this thing is like, I mean, we're gonna, be, we wanna be a billion dollar business. And like this thing is like, you know, put together by spreadsheets and duct tape. And so, yeah. um, you know, we need to like, you know, fix that. And so I'm lucky too. I think I have a boss who like, um, is kind of sees that and kind of like, I think understands like, hey, these things are important for this reason. Um, and so I think I'm also lucky that like, you know, you have an engineering team. I think at Google, like engineers like building big things. And so like, this is a big thing. Um, so yeah, you just kind of beat the drum. And the other thing as a PM you have, there's always like 10 things that you want done. You can probably do one or two of them. And so, um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of it's like, to me, it's like highlighting to people. Here are like the 10 problems we have. These four are really big and gonna take us probably a year or two to fix. These other ones are probably small things we fix. Like, um, you know, leadership, hey, what do we wanna do? Um, and ultimately they, they need to, they make the, make the call. Like I'm not at the point where I can, I'm assigning, assigning resources. Yeah, I mean, within my, own, within my own projects, I'm assigning resources, but like, you know, those big strategic things, I think it's like, depends where you are, but like, I'm at the point where it's like, here are the problems. Here's how we can solve them. This is what it's going to cost us to solve them. This is the impact of it. Like, you know, like leads. Tell me, tell us what you where you want to point me. Right. So you kind of you kind of go to like some sort of you know leadership steering committee or you know or, or, or individuals or whatever, and you kind of make your your pitch based on like what you've what you've gathered from the field and talking to folks and you know, like you're saying like looking at operations and 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 you know seeing that what they're doing is kind of you know janky yeah 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 <laughs> you know, and, and so you you pitch that to to leaders and then you kind of um get like buy-in on a, a specific direction and then mm -hmm. you, you you pursue that yeah 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 exactly nice. like and then and then lucky that they're like here are your resources you know don't fuck it up <laughs> <laughs> um and uh so what so when when you have like a feature or something identified i mean this is something that i struggle with all the time as as a pm myself is so you have something identified you have like the ideal like you know uh moonshot vision of what it could be 
and then you talk to engineers, you kind of pitch that to them, and then they bring you right back down to earth mm -hmm. very quickly. So how do you kind of balance in a very engineering dominant environment like Google, how do you balance the need to do right by the user with, um, you know, basically technical constraints placed on you by engineering? Yeah. Um, I think one, I think you as a PM try, strive to be as technical as you can and um, understand before, have a general understanding of what the problems are going to be before you get in there. Like, to the best of your ability. Like, hey, this is going to be hard. Um, and just have a sense of that, right? I think that that's, that takes time. Um, but I think once you work with a team or you work on a product for a while, you kind of get a sense of like, hey, these are really, this is going to cost me a lot. And then I think it's also, a, 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 it's, it's just a cost benefit, right? It's like, hey, this is going to take me six months. I'm willing, and it's going to take, it's going to take away from these other things. Here are these other things that I want to do. Uh, and that's like your prioritization. It's all resources. It, you know, it's, it's time and people. Mm -hmm. um, and you've got, it, if something is core, to, you got to be like, is this core to my vision? Or what the product is going to be, and if I don't do this now, is that an irreversible decision, or can I do it later? Um, so I think it's like really important to understand like what are the core kind of like what are the bedrock things that this this depends on, and what are kind of ancillary things that we can we can add later or we can give up. Um, that's really hard, you know, and like everyone's got a different kind of point of view. UX has got a different point. UX has their opinion. Eng has their opinion. Like, product has their opinion. Um, and sometimes you got to give, you got to give something up sometimes to get something later. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. I mean, yeah. it's, kind of it's not easy. Depends on the situation exactly. And kind of, yeah, like you were saying, how things kind of fit into like a broader vision. But, you know, that's another aspect of, product development that I find is very hard to teach or, mm -hmm. you know, I feel like there's this kind of natural, like visionary thing that some people are born with, you know, like a Steve Jobs sort of uh, trait, mm -hmm. you know, where you can just foresee what the, you know, the thing you're working on will become, you know, like, but but I mean I think some I mean, there are part there are maybe elements of that that are learnable, um, and 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 I was wondering kind of how you go about sort of coming up with a vision for your area of the product, um, you know to to you know like you were saying to kind of be your your guide your um, your thing that you're weighing features and changes against. Yeah, I I think like um, I think everyone you also got. to like think back, like like the iPhone, right? Everyone talks about like that took forty years, you know. Like it was a forty-year-old company. Like they started in the seventies, and they didn't. They lost the iPhone in what two thousand eight or something like that. So it was like forty years. So it's not like he had the vision. Maybe he had the inklings of it right before, and like you know, and he tried before. There were other like failures that they tried at. Um, so I think that there is like, I think it's kind of like two things i think there's like a, a deep understanding of like you know your space like so like there's like people like become an expert in your space and understand everything uh, as much as you can 
that's one point. And then it's like well, another point is like, like, what are like, you know, what are the pain points? Like, yeah, sure, not everyone's gonna be a Steve Jobs. Not everyone's gonna be like a whatever, like, I don't know, uh, Bill Gates, right? You know, or whatever it is. Um, so I think there there are there's a lot of these like things like oh like this is this pain point. I want to solve this. So I think like the thing that like Steve Jobs got really like angry about was like. Um, uh, like, oh, why, isn't, why aren't these things just working together? It's, like, really frustrating that they're not just, like, working together. Also, people don't think that people, you should discount, like, how much of an asshole Steve Jobs was. And so, like, you know, um, don't discount, like, you know, your own personal feelings. Like, do I want to be that? Because there are plenty of assholes out there who will just, like, yeah, get their way, uh, whether it's the right way or the wrong way. So he was, he, he turned out to be the right way, but, like, there are plenty of assholes that do the wrong, the wrong thing out there. Um, and I think also, like, part of the vision or kind of like the genius of, like, maybe a Jobs or, or even, like, you know, a Bill Gates is, like, sometimes, like, it's not, like, coming up with, like, the thing all on your own. It's, like, I seeing other things and, I, and connecting the dots. So I've also, like, read, you know, it's, like, things, like, sometimes the people who are the most successful aren't, like, coming up with the ideas, but they have this broad sense of, like, what's out there. And like what the problems are in their space and then being able to see, hey, they're doing this other thing over here that relates to this thing I'm doing over here. How can I connect those two things? And that's where the innovation kind of happens. So like, and the famous example is the mouse, right? So they went to, I forget who it was like, I think it was IBM or somebody like that had invented the mouse. And it was like some prototype and they just walked in and like someone's like, oh yeah, we have this thing. I don't know what to do with it. And he was like, that is going to solve this other problem. This, because we, we're building this, this GUI, right? They're building this, this you know, the, the first kind of UI. On a, on a, on a, and they, how do I control that? It's like, oh, that's how I'm going to control it. Right. And so that was kind of like the genius for like the mouse, right? Um, so it's like, yeah, like they didn't, you know, Apple didn't build a capacitant touch screen. They didn't build like <clears throat> accelerometers, things. But they were like, oh, here are these things. Like, here's this problem I need to solve. Like, you know. So to kind of go back, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't worry too much about, like, people get, like, get wrapped up, like, with my vision, with my idea, but I, I would focus on the problem that you're trying to solve or the problems, like, have a bunch of them, um, and then just always kind of be aware of, like, hey, what, how can I solve that? And you're always kind of thinking, like, you know, you know, oh, is this something I can use or, you know, mm -hmm. and things like that, so... Do you have uh, things that you do or, or, or media sources that you pay attention to um, to kind of facilitate that, um, that sort of cr like uh, applying, you know, that what you were just talking about, which is that you take a pattern that you see in some other sphere and you apply that to, you know, your sphere. Like, do you, do you have like um, things that you do or, um, or methods, you know, to, to try to kind of find those things? I know that's kind of like an abstract question, but... Yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I think that there are, I think that there are two ways to do it again. I think there's like, you know, stay in your industry, you know, know your industry, know your trends, but I think there's also like a broadness of like, um, of like experience, right? And so like, I go back to like the CMS, the content management system that we're building, like we have an op, we have operators. And so like my military and flying experience, like, has totally shaped how I view the operators and what their role is and how they should solve their problems. Your dad will appreciate this. Like there's a joke in the, in the, in the, in the Navy Marine Corps aviation of like the Air Force has a, a rule book that's this big that has of all the things that you can do. 
and the Navy Marine Corps has a rule book this big, which is smaller, of things you can't do. And so just follow the things you can't do, and you can do everything else. Um, and like, you know, you should be able to, the, the aircraft should be your tool, and the less you're fighting the aircraft, the more you're thinking outside the aircraft, and you're able to fight the aircraft, and you, you use it as your tool. So like, when I think about like C, the CMS, like that's how I view the operators. I think the operators should be, I should be creating a rule book of things you can't do, do everything else. Like bend that, I want them to like manipulate that system to do cool, unique things that I never thought they were going to do. And I think that's great. Engineers hate that. Cause they're like, I only want it, I want to design this perfect, and honestly, UXers, you know, Fiona's, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know, like I, 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 kind of the same way, but I, I love them. But they're, but they, they, they're like, this is the flow I'm designing for them. They like, why are, why are the operators working outside that? Like, like that's a good thing. Like we've created this, this tool that's flexible enough that they can like manipulate it to, to solve a problem we never even thought they had. They didn't even think they had at the time or they weren't, they weren't able to articulate it or this new, this new business requirement came up that they're able to do. They're able to, that's how I want to design this, this system. Um, and so like, you know, even the engineers are like, oh, well, we shouldn't allow them to do this. I'm like, well, I mean, why not? Like, if they're solving, you know, they're, if they have processes and systems and they're smart enough not to make these mistakes, give them enough rope to make mistakes. Um, and, and that's okay. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's like, so I take this, this philosophy, like of the, like the Marine Corps and like aviation and all that. And I'm applying it to like how I want the operators to like, you know, if I use the term fight the system, how do I want them to like use the system, not fight against the system, but use the system as a tool to fight battles and solve problems. Yeah. Um, and if I do that, then like, then I think we're successful. And I yeah. think like, um, you know, so I think so if you go back, like you broaden your experiences, you know, like I know you guys are like you're outdoors people or you have a Zion shirt on, like, you know, like what experience did you have there? You know, like what things do you like, you know, from like prepping your pack to like choosing gear to like going out, you know, like plant, like all those types of things I think you can take and you can apply to, um, to your role. And so I think it's, I would say like, um, you know, have a breath of experience, mm -hmm. a breath of like, like talk to people. The problem, I think the problem with Silicon Valley is like, it's all tech mm. and we don't have enough people who are like in government or like, you know, creative. I think we've killed the creatives around here. You no. Know? And so, cause it's too expensive, right? Like if you're like, if you're like yeah. a, star a starving artist, you're not going to live here cause you can't afford it. And so like, that's a detriment, mm -hmm. um, you know, if you look at New York City, like one of the like the greatest thing is like yeah, you have finance, right? You have all these high power people, but you also have people who are you know like you know artists or like musicians or like actors or like you know coffee people working in coffee shops who are trying to do all these other things, um, and I think they will quote unquote win because they have that breadth of experience. I I really worry about like the Bay Area because like I don't think we have that. I think we're losing that that kind of like breadth of experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's it's. I mean, San Francisco, especially, <clears throat> you know, has been hollowed out by inflating rents for, you know, yeah. I mean, this, I mean, I, it's been going on for like two decades yeah. um, or, or more. And yeah, I mean, it is, <laughs> it is uh, highly gentrified and uh, very um, skewed toward one type of career. And you could, you can almost like spot tech people on oh, the yeah. street just from like what they're wearing you know like the patagonia totally the best uh, like yeah, you the know best the best and, and like yeah like there's like this there's yeah. this like spoof site that'll give you like the vc starter kit 
Like, it gives you a vest and some, like, Allbird, like, you know, shoes and, like, and, like, shit like that. I mean, I don't think they'll actually sell it to you, but, like, um, but, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not good, yeah. so. But, but, I mean, the, the gist of what you're saying, it sounds like, is, you know, do stuff that pushes you into kind of, like, a, like, if you are, if, you know, say you are a product manager or, you know, even an engineer or, you know, designer, you know, just to kind of develop that skill of applying a pattern you learn, you know, in, in one area to another, you have to actually develop these different spheres of experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, essentially the, you know, the message I'm getting is like, go and do like weird shit, you know, or stuff that kind of takes you out of your normal environ. Like, you know, maybe, you know, you can't learn by, you know, not expanding your, you know, your horizon of experience. Totally. Have you ever, have you heard the book range? No. So it's gonna be a plug. Actually, it's a it's a friend of mine, but it's actually pretty popular. He's written a bunch of like the, um, he's written like the Sports Gene. He's read like uh, or he's written um, a couple other books where he's like, you know, Malcolm Gladwell is. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of like the anti-Malcolm Gladwell. So he's like, and they're friends. They're actually like friends. Um, but he's like, Malcolm Gladwell's like ten thousand hours. He become an expert. He's like the, he's like the anti. So his in range his most recent book, his point is that like, if you have a range of experiences, that makes you better at the end. And so like his like. The, did, they're all written like like Malcolm Gladwell books, but like um, but the thing is, is is the first thing is like it was Federer, right? Didn't play tennis until he was like in his like teens, and so like you have the story of Tiger Woods, who like starts when he's like four, um, but you have Federer who like played soccer, played all these other sports, and he was able to build these other kind of skill sets and like identify later in life, like oh hey here's here's how I use these other things, um, for 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 tennis, and obviously it was very successful. So, I mean the point is is like hey they're if you have all these other things, you can you can kind of combine them and you create like a better person. So like um, CEOs writ large that like come like have like successful CEOs have like different experiences and they've done these different things right. uh, and are able to kind of lead in a different sort of way. Yeah. So, yeah. so you know, uh, for for folks who are looking to get into product management and you know who are transitioning from you know maybe either you know, a completely different career as you did, or, yeah. you know, even from like an engineering role or, or a designer, um, you know, do you have any sort of like tips or tricks or advice that you've learned? I mean, cause you've been, you've now been a PM, I think for like close to seven years? Four, four, four years. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I've been out know. of the Marine Corps for about six years, but I went to okay. grad school for two of them. So. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I think like, um, I think that design thinking, I think, is a really good skill to have. I think a lot of people, um, that was really hard for me, I think. And so I think I learned a lot from that. Um, I think everyone's different, right? So, like, it's, like, understand, I think, like, this is just, like, a wisdom thing. But understand, like, what you're strong, good at and understand, like, what you're not that good at and focus on both. So I think, like, a PM, you have to do all of these things. Um, so, like, I think, like, I tend to be a very, like, executor. Like, you know, I can, like, I'll hit timeline. I can, like, once, we, once we've figured out, like, what to do, like, we'll, we'll drive towards that. Um, the thing I, like, am not as good at, you know, or have to work at more is, like, hey, like, expanding. And, like, you know, the things that designers, or, like, UXers are always very good at, right? It's, like, you know, let's spend three months just talking about what we will do and, like, doing post-it notes and things like that. That didn't come, especially from the Marine Corps, it didn't come very naturally. 
So I think in, in graduate school, like going through a few of those classes, I think was like super good for me. It gets you more comfortable in like the gray and being ambiguous and stuff. So I think that was, um, that was good for me. But then if you are, if you are that, if like you come to that naturally, then work on the thing. Like, how do I, how do I take that and come to like a concrete solution? Um, I'm sure you do this too, but like you, you do interviews, you know, you're an interviewer. So you see both sides of it all. You see people who come in the interviews and they, they jump right to a solution without kind of like thinking about the problem. And you have people who think about the problem but can't get to a solution. And so those are the two things. Um, the other thing is communication. It's like concise communication. Um, find like really good PMs are often introverts. So I think there's a, a trend to introverts in the PM world more than you'd think because I think like people think of PMs as getting up and go this way we're gonna do this video. rallying the troops rallying the troops yeah. um <laughs> but i think like listen i think like even in the cia they said the best case officers are, are introverts who train themselves to be extroverted yeah. um because you really listen and understand like what what people want and what the problem is um so like sometimes it's shut up <laughs> it's, it's shut up and listen and understand like what the problem is so right. yeah i think those are the things well, um, hey, Mike, thank you for talking yeah, to me. Yeah, I know we're, we're about coming up here on your, uh, your hard stop. So, um, you know, I, I really appreciate everything. Yeah. And, uh, Thanks for the beer. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, and, and I hope we can, you know, talk again, you know, in the future about, yeah. you know, some other aspect of aviation or, or sure. you know, product management as, as it comes along. Yeah, 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 absolutely, man. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe to this podcast wherever you might be listening to it if you're not already. Also, check out my site at nickrroberts.com and subscribe to the newsletter there, which comes out on a monthly basis. It covers technology, product development, aviation, history, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Thanks for listening and have an awesome day.